Hi, everybody. This is Tony Khan, the producer and director of Morning Stories from WGBH in Boston. On January the 1st, 2007, an amazing law went into effect here in the United States. All classified documents 25 years or older were open to the public. Overnight, a whole world of state secrets and state stories swam into view. And for anyone who believes in the power of setting hidden stories free, then it's a cause for celebration. It made me think of a story that I had produced about Cambodia, a country that caved in on itself and had almost lost half of its population under the Pol Pot regime and the Khmer Rouge. That time of killing fields is gone now, but the memories of a reporter who lived through them, Sidney Schamberg of the New York Times, seem very relevant still today. Sydney's story, falling off the bike. All right, this is it. It's the floor clear. This is the last check. In April 1975, as American diplomats fled Phnom Penh, the Khmer Rouge, a communist guerrilla movement led by Paul Pot, consolidated its hold on Cambodia. I'm leaving. The 1984 film, The Killing Fields, told the story of two men in Phnom Penh that day, Dith Pran, a Cambodian interpreter, and his friend and colleague, New York Times reporter, Sidney Shanberg. The vast majority of people who were the targets of the Khmer Rouge, the people in the cities, deeply believed there would be a reconciliation. But no one had a clue that there was going to be a kind of genocide. One of the first prisoners the Khmer Rouge took was Sidney Shanberg. He was arrested with other journalists and driven in an armored personnel carrier to the edge of town. We could see the river, and there were men outside with their automatic weapons on their hips pointing at the door. And we just assumed that they were going to shoot us and roll us down the riverbank into the river. We were nothing to them. The illiteracy of the troops saved Shanberg's life. Dith Pran told them that Shanberg and the others were French journalists covering the Khmer Rouge victory. The soldiers couldn't read Shanberg's passport and know the claim was a lie. We were saved. However, there were these two officers in the Cambodian Navy who had been picked up on the street, and they'd been praying the whole time. That's when you feel responsible, because you're free, and they're going to be dead. The targets of the Khmer Rouge were the educated, the business people, the intellectuals, the teachers. Less than four years later, two million of them lay dead and decomposing in killing fields. Yet, few images of it ever reached the West or survived to haunt our collective memory. Today in Cambodia, Shanberg says, the killing fields still exist inside each Cambodian. Someone will be riding a bicycle down a main boulevard and suddenly the bicycle will veer out of control and hit the curb or hit a parked car. The person will fall off. What happened? What happened was that an image thrust itself back into their head. A father, mother, relative, living under the Khmer Rouge, dying on the mud floor of the thatch hut, starving to death, asking for food, and there's no food to bring them. And so you watch the loved one die. That image is seared into their head. And as much as they try to get back to, quote, normal life, it will never go away completely. And they just break down and fall off the bicycle. What the victims of the Khmer Rouge suffered from most, says Shanberg, was the feeling that nobody knew what was going on. 
He recalls the story of one group of prisoners whom a friendly Khmer Rouge guard let listen to his radio. These men gathered around this radio, huddled, and they had it muffled with a something, a piece of cloth. And they heard on the BBC World News that a plane had dropped bombs on Khmer Rouge positions. So they knew that somebody in the outside world knew what was going on and had bombed the Khmer Rouge. And one of the men said, now I can die in peace. The next morning, they were marshaled out into the yard, and he walked forward and struck a Khmer Rouge guard, and he was instantly shot to death. For a world growing smaller by the second, says Schamberg, the lesson of Cambodia is twofold. We need to respond to problems more quickly, but we also need to appreciate that the real solutions take time. This is a country that had an election under UN auspices in 1993, but you don't plant democracy with one election. And we're not patient. We want to have an election and say, okay, well, we've taken care of that genocide. Now we'll move on to the next one. It's not that way. And we do have an obligation. I mean, it's one thing you do learn when you live in a foreign country and bad things happen and you feel a level of responsibility. You learn that you are your brother's keeper. It doesn't matter whether you want to be or not. You are. That was Sidney Schamberg with today's morning story, Falling Off the Bike. I'm here in the studio with Gary Mott. Just brings to mind Varric Eng. Varric Eng, an earlier morning story, right? Yeah, uh, the story Dancing with mm-hmm. History. Right. His mother has these sort of recurring flashbacks, nightmarish experiences that have manifested in alcoholism and mm-hmm. the inability to function. Mm-hmm. And so Varric, American-born, her son, has taken over much of the responsibility for the family financially yeah. as a, a caretaker for his siblings. He said something else in that story that I remember. His mother needed somebody that she could tell her story to. During that horrible period, nobody dared speak. Well, to uh, to turn to a more hopeful subject, as you know, we've been uh, asking you out there to help us run the family budget here at Morning Stories by making some contributions. And uh, in a family spirit, a number of you have responded. So we wanted to uh, thank you and get to know you a little bit better. We uh, made a call to one of our contributors, a fellow named Mark Richford, who is living nowadays in Hawaii. Hello. Mark, hi, it's Tony Khan calling from Boston. It's so nice to hear your voice. I mean, it's like I like. It's like I know you from all of those uh, morning stories. I should have called sooner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. How did you happen to come across morning stories? iTunes. Mm-hmm. Click on podcast. Go to NPR. Mm-hmm. I've contributed to NPR probably twice in my lifetime, and I'm 49. When I went to the website, you had a spot there that said, click here to donate. I figured, you know, I'm benefiting from this, and in a moment of weakness, <laughs> I clicked and I sent a tiny little donation. What did we do right? You know what, you know what you did right? You, you put a place to click on the, on the website that was convenient. Oh, okay. I mean, and there was no rigmarole. It was like, click nah. here to donate. And that got, that's what got her done. My, uh, my iPod keeps me entertained. I drive from West Hawaii to East Hawaii on the Big Island, 
it's two to two and a half hour drive. I yeah. moved here from Montana a couple of years ago because it was just so amazing. Here, everybody just tries to help each other out, and it, I just I was impressed by the Aloha. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing. Where I first noticed the Aloha was we have a real shortage of roads here, poor infrastructure. It grew too fast in Kona, and so there's a lot of traffic. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, some of the traffic is caused by people letting other people in. The opposite of how it is in <laughs> metropolitan areas, you know. But it's, it's just amazing. That's and I love that and the Aloha, and uh, that's why I live here. This is my home. It's like coming home. I spoke to a woman who was Hawaiian, and she said "ha" means breath. And alo, I think, means share, to right. share the breath. Yeah, I thought they were rubbing noses or something when I saw somebody do that. Mm-hmm. The guy told me in, in Moscow, people from Kazakhstan greet each other by touching each other's shoulder. He said, because your guardian angel sits on your right shoulder. That's where they rest. Uh-huh. And this is a way of thanking the guardian angel for taking care of this person you care about. That's what I love about Morning Stories is that it, it, it shares from people that were seemingly unrelated. We would have nothing in common, folks who would not usually mix. And, uh, and, and, and the way you handle the shows and the, and the tact that you take shares a part of someone's life that we can all identify with, you know? And I think that's the amazing part of, of what you bring to Morning Stories. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And it, 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 mahalo. Well, mahalo fa- and mele kalikimaka. Mahalo, Mark. Thank you. See you, Tony. Thank you so much. Okay. Aloha. Aloha. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Listening to Mark brought me some memories of the one and only time that I went to uh, Hawaii, Garrett. I'd been doing a piece for The Savvy Traveler, and I got the absolutely stupid idea that I should try hang gliding. <laughs> I'd never done it before. I, I, you know, I get nervous even going from one room to the other and they're on the same level. The first uh, and the last the first, hang gliding experience. The right? first and the last, but not either the first or we hope the last time that we thank Ipswich for being our support for this podcast. Ipswich, a leader among many things in file transfer software. If you want to check them out, you can go to their website at ipswitch.com. And we have all sorts of exciting things happening on the web, wgbh.org slash morningstories. You'll notice a couple of links to contribute. If you feel so moved, please. We've got a link to our Flickr page, which is uh, growing slowly but steadily. Yep. Pictures of our contributors. And what else, Tony? I mean... How about goodbye and see you soon? Goodbye. Goodbye. See you soon, folks. (laughs) 